Hello and welcome back to the Attacking 2 podcast. We're back with a new episode of our Monday episode as we usually do as a two with Jimmy and myself. I'm back like uh, I wasn't back last time. Uh, I'm happy to be back on this podcast with two lovely guests we have today in uh, Terry Sassio. You can find him under at Sassio1984 on Twitter and uh, James, who can be found under the handle at PGCFC001 on Twitter. Uh, both are writers for the Chelsea Echo. You should definitely check out their articles on there as they are really interesting. Um, we will be talking about Hudson Adoy today and uh, the situation around a potential director of football coming in. Um, I'm very excited for that one. So we leave you with one question. Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah. Uh. All right. Uh, lovely to have you on, lads. Um, let's jump straight into it. Uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi seemingly put in a transfer request um, just a few days ago. Um, he played, however, um, against Sheffield Wednesday in the Cup. Um, what do we make out of this situation as there are now rumours floating about that he is not going to leave in that transfer window or Chelsea has put a stop to his um, transfer activities, at least for that window. Um, what do you think, uh, Terry, um, what will happen in this saga next? I believe um, ever since the window started and when Bayern Munich first made the uh, um, interest known in public that they were keen to acquire Callum Hudson-Odoi. I've always felt that Hudson-Odoi would be staying at Chelsea at the very least um, till the end of the season. Um, the reason why I feel that is for a couple of reasons, if you're going through that, is that he still has 18 months on his contract. We're under no immediate pressure to sell as of yet. Come the summer, it might be different. But that could lead into my second reason, which is the fact that the second half of the season, we're going to have more games to play because obviously we're now going to have the league, the Carabao Cup final, the FA Cup and the Europa League. We're hopeful of getting to the last stages of both the FA Cup and the Europa League. So that's a, a, another good cluster of games on top of, which is, which is basically another half of the Premier League season at both. Um, we've lost a couple of A's during the transfer window as well and in doing so that's mostly left another couple of spaces available at the very least on the bench for the first team when it comes to matches um, so I, I do believe he's going to get a lot more game time between now and the end of the season and I feel that the next six months we and I mean, what I mean by we is the club the players the fans all together, I feel that we can rectify the potential wrongs that have happened ever since Hudson Adoy made his debut last season, where even though he was only 17 at the time when he made his debut, you could see there the the talent was very evident. And there is that old mantra is it doesn't matter about your age, if you're old enough, you're good enough, and so on and so forth. And we've seen at other clubs recently, youngsters have broke through other top six sides and they've become regular stars. And you can and you can see why Chelsea want to hold on to him. Um, I just 
I just feel there's there was no immediate pressure, and I also feel that I don't think the actual scenario that is at, at hand right now is black and white. I think there's a lot more to it than we assume there is. I don't think it's just a case of Callum's gone to Maurizio or gone to the ball and gone, oh, I want out. I think there's reasons as to why he's done that. I don't think it's just as straightforward as I want to go and play for Bayern Munich. I, I do believe there are other reasons. Yeah. So a lot of reasons and a lot of game time in the second half of the season, um, says Terry. Is that, however, enough to convince him to stay at Chelsea over the next transfer window? Uh, James, what do you think? I I tend to agree with Terry on, on this. Yeah, I think from what I've gauged about Callum Hudson-Odoi, he just wants to play football. That's really what he wants to do. He wants to be, you know, get out there, getting games, playing, getting playing time. I think, yeah, obviously he's friends with um, Jaden Sancho. He's getting a lot of game time at Dortmund and doing very well. And, you know, he's broken into the England squad. And I think part of his, part of his frustration has been that he wants to play. And in the first half of the season, especially, he wasn't he wasn't playing much. He wasn't playing as much as we thought he would at the start of the season because he had a fantastic pre-season, one of our best players in pre-season. And, you know, it didn't kind of translate into the first team appearances until kind of October, November, really. And um, And then when he did play, he played very well. And, you know, he's improved ever since he started playing more. I think... I do think part of his improvement has been working with Maurizio Sarri on the training pitch and um, listening to him and learning from him. I think a lot of improvement comes on the training pitch. But, um, you know, we've seen the improvement over the season. Um, and now he's at a point where he does deserve to play much more regularly, including in the Premier League. And so I think it does very much depend on how much he plays between now and the end of the season as to whether he does go to Bayern Munich or whether he stays at Chelsea and I think if Chelsea could convince him that he's going to get regular football here then I think they may well convince him to stay because I think um, you know, he's been at Chelsea for quite a long time and I think he's a Chelsea fan at heart as well I think if he was playing regularly here then I don't think he would see any reason to leave um, and if you know, we're, we're, not, we're not sure about what's going to happen with Eden Hazard in the summer um, but say Eden Hazard left, um, there would be a gaping wide hole on the left wing, which he could fill, and he could become our first choice in that position even. So um, I think it, a lot of it is to do with game time, but on a lot of the other things I agree with Terry as well, that um, that there's other people been pushing this, I think, not just the player. There's been people advising him from outside um, who... Some of them may have his best interests at heart, but um, I don't think he's been the one that's really been driving this this transfer as much as other people. Mm. How much has that been a factor, um, Jimmy, as um, it is seemingly something that goes on behind closed doors? Putting in a transfer request is a like a hard statement to do, especially for an 18-year-old uh, mm. who has barely played a first-team uh, game before let's say two months ago um what do you think how is is the influence he gets from 
his parents or whatever people that are um, making making the stuff behind scenes for him is the good influence is the bad influence for him and um, how much say has uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi himself? Well, I mean, we're, we can only speculate in that regard because we'll probably never get to know who had how much um, of a say in in him making this decision to leave and putting that transfer request. But one thing I've been very firm about is uh, putting the blame on his parents. They had actually an interview with, if I'm not mistaken, Miguel Delaney um, from, I think it's the Times, where they they were quite objective about it. They didn't slag off Chelsea as such. You know, I mean, they did. They were right to say uh, what what they said about the Carabao Cup minutes because it is a farce partially. I mean, at least when you're as uh, far as Callum Hudson-Odoi is in his development, despite his age. Um, but uh, you know. There's, there's a bad influence, and then there's this normal parental instinctive influence. Like, a bad influence, you could say, is the case with Adrian Rabiot's parents, who have been consistently nagging about everything since he's been, like, you know, early teens, uh, an early teenage. Uh, and the, the thing is, with Hudson Adoy, they just want what's best for their son. He's not playing. He seems unhappy. Well, what is the normal instinctive parental uh, emotion? Well, you want that that stops. So they'll be encouraging him if a club of Bayern's stature comes in and says, well, we'll give you this and you'll have that and you'll get the number 10. And, you know, it's it's hard to to fault them for that. I, I, I personally can't because my parents would want only the best for me. And I'm sure for that's the case for anyone else on this podcast or whoever is listening. It's, I think it, we, we shouldn't be too... Are harsh in regard to the parents. They will have played an influence, but you know, lastly, Callum Hudson Odoi is the one who's making the decision here to put in the transfer request. He's 18 years old. He's got a mind of his own. If Chelsea would be so important to him that he, you know, he's a fan, and that could still be the case. But if he feels aggrieved, then you know, then he puts in a request. And I, I do think that we can persuade him to to stay if he does get the regular minutes. I, d- I really do never, never, never wish any of our players uh, an injury. Never will I do that. But, you know, if William or Pedro do get injured or even Eden Hazard, then he'll be stepping up. You know, he'll get the time. Maybe that's what we need. And I'm generally of the opinion that Hazard's going to leave us in the summer. So he will be the per well, the perfect, you know, just the obvious choice to succeed him. Um, so I don't know. I think if there's someone to blame in this whole situation, then it's not the parents and not really necessarily Hudson Adoy, but mm-hmm. it's the clubs. You know, Bayern was, we can talk about that as well because a lot uh, happened from their director of football, uh, Hassan Sami Hamicic, and um, also from our side. I think we, we shouldn't just be pointing fingers here, we should be looking into the mirror. Mm. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Very, very good points made. Um, well, I, I have to say one or two things about that because um, what has been done wrong by, by by Chelsea or what has been done wrong by Bayern in regards to this transfer or not transfer in, in their cases, 
that um, many people ha have said, well, it's dirty tactics, Bayern uses um, luring a player away, trying to get the influence over him, maybe already, and we don't know this, but this will be um, Bayern all day long, that they already agreed a deal for the summer, and we don't know it, and then like two weeks after the transfer window closes, uh, we already know, well, they've signed him for the next season, as they've done with Bavard, um, the uh, Stuttgart um, fullback. Um, but I think, and I've listened to a podcast today where uh, Jab Stam, the former Manchester United uh, defender, was talking about all the transfer activity he went through. And he, he said... Well, he was speaking um, ahead of a transfer window with Sir Alex Ferguson and uh, it was not a case of luring a player away and these talks happen and everyone knows it, um, even though it is kind of illegal or n not the, um, the, the best way to do it or not the, the defined way to do it. Um, all these these transfer activities happening behind closed doors, everyone knows that, that they are happening and it's not really, you, you can't really, any, any activities that uh, these these activities would stop but on the other hand I think Chelsea has handled it very badly um, if you want a, a player to stay and if you want want him to stay very uh, like in, in, in a way where you say all right Callum you're talented we've seen it you're talented at, at a very young age and um, for starters we have a brilliant youth team and we have barely brought players through um, we have to now um, set a milestone that do a statement on whether we we're we're going to do the stuff we've done for the last five or ten years all over again um loaning players out constantly until it is too late and then sell them for cheap or we finally make a decision of offering a good contract which we did but not in the way i think callum hudson would agree on it because he's also clever in his financial um department like he has he plays around with the clubs for his benefit and fair play to him. He should do that as well. But I think if we had a director of football in place who would do strong decisions, who would make decisions not only from, from a financial standpoint, but also from a standpoint of we want to be building a team around youngsters and we have to make our best youngsters stay on long-term contracts, this situation wouldn't have been uh, going to him putting in the transfer request so for me the most obvious question here is for terry um if we had a director of football would the situation have been different a million percent different it's it's not even it's not even like a case of oh it might not have been it's it's an absolute yes it would have been different there's there's a huge fracture at the club between the board um, the playing staff, aka the, the managers, the, the scouting department, and, and the players themselves. There's a huge gap. There is. Um, we are doing fantastically in a finance in a financial perspective, but that doesn't mean um, everything is rosy at the club, so to speak. That we um, we could use Hudson Adoy as almost as the potential catalyst of whether um, the academy will forever be known as a glorified cash cow or the fact that it will finally be given the chance to be trusted for what it was supposed to do in the first place, which is to bring players through that are good enough to play for this football club and also make 
make um, the club run in a so financial way where we don't have to constantly rely on Roman Abramovich every single transfer window. That was the whole point of the academy. It was supposed to be that sort of local connection where where we had that sort of nostalgia feeling where the fans will see the good the good um, the good happy ending story, so to speak, of seeing a local boy come through the ranks, come through all the um, the teams to finally um, um, realise their dream of playing for the first team of Chelsea Football Club. A director of football would go if we had a director of football at the club that would that would be a realistic a realistic possibility instead of what is currently a pipe dream because um, if we go from an academy perspective we've got away with it for a long long time where we've just let kids go through leave sell them on and whatnot we've got away with it um, some might say oh um, players in the past were not good enough and not good enough I, I genuinely believe the, the generation we have at the academy or the local army, as it's as they're commonly known as, I think this generation of academy players or youngsters is the first time where we can really say they are, in my, in my opinion, maybe people will disagree, they are good enough to play for Chelsea Football Club. Players that have, that have gone in recent times, the likes of Josh McEachern, or Dominic Solanke, or Jeremy Bogar. They've done fantastically at a, a youth level, but if you go by what they're doing at a uh, first-team level, there's nothing really there. But if you look at the sort of players that are coming through now, you've got Callum hudson Adoy, uh, uh, you've got Ruben Loftus-Cheek, he's been around for a couple of years, but he's finally, finally been given the chance by a manager where he's trusted enough to showcase his talent. I mean, he must be good enough, seeing as he can, he can play in a World Cup tournament for starters. Um, you've also got the likes of Mason Mann, who is highly regarded and almost seen as the heir apparent to Frank Lampard, arguably the greatest player to ever play for this football club. And then we've got someone alongside uh, with Reese James, where everyone is screaming about how amazing he's done for Wigan Athletic this season. And then if you look at it from a first-team perspective, in terms of the youngsters we've got there as well, we've got Ethan Ampadu, who, in my opinion, is, is as good as Callum hudson uh, I think he's I think he's a potential scary good. And I think with something like a director of football at the helm, it, it, it takes the burden off the manager that so he can just play the players that he's got at his disposal and create um, a winning mentality and an attacking play style, which obviously Roman Abramovich has um, longed for ever since he bought the club. It's not, there's no if, but, or maybe. He wants to be he wants to be entertained whilst winning. He's always wanted that, and I think. If we had that at our disposal, like like uh, you guys said, if we had a strong person in charge of the football side of things, so that that allows the likes of Marina uh, Marina Grabaskaya to focus solely on the financial aspect of the club, which is which maybe people don't like her, but she is incredibly brilliant at the financial aspect. Mm. That allows her to yeah. stop worrying about the transfer dealings. I mean, we've got a chief executive at the club 
in previous years, chief executives at a club, the likes of Ron Gawley, Peter Kenyon, they they had such a fundamental, well, not fundamental, an influential position at the club where they allowed the club to, um, what's the one I'm trying to think of, aspire and also to um, reach the heights both on and off the pitch. Since we've lost that sort of chief executive or even that director of football where we used to have, I'm not saying he was fantastic, but since Michael Emanalo's left, it's almost like there's just been this huge black hole in the club in terms of it's literally a case of any manager that wants to build a team, wants to bring players through, wants to create a, a winning stroke attacking dynasty, an era for the club that we've not had in recent memory. It's mm. like, no, 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 you're not allowed to do that because because of the short term mentality that is at the club. It's it's becoming to become it's almost becoming a disease at the mm. club because it's mm. about it's yep. literally become win at all costs. It's instant success. And I feel I feel sorry for someone like Maurizio Sarri at the moment because he has arguably the hardest job uh, potentially all the Chelsea managers to an extent besides most of Mourinho because he's having to come in at a time where we're going through a huge transition. Let's not beat around the bush. Even though we won an FA Cup last season, we won the league two years before that. The team is in huge transition. There's so many problems within the team. Yeah. Um, he's having to work miracles to an extent mm. with what he's got. And what and yeah. to, to consider what he's actually done already is miraculous. Yeah. So, I, I agree on that. Um however, um if we if we're still talking about the director of football and um, what he should be allowed to do, how powerful should that position be in our club? And um, I'm putting this question um, to James here. How powerful should a potential director of football be at Chelsea Football Club? And can you think of names who could fill the, the position? Yeah, I wrote an article about this for The Echo <clears throat> about two or three weeks ago. It's something I've thought about a lot. Um and I've, 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 I've looked at the, I mean, the Manchester City documentary, um, All or Nothing, that, that's, that's fascinating to me because you see a glimpse of the structure at the club that they have. And, you know, it, it's incredible. They have Tetsi Bergestan as, I think, director of football. And, but what I noticed, they have a director of football for, for different regions, different yeah. scouting regions. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's that's not just phenomenal. one. Mm-hmm. It's it's absolutely incredible, and um, he makes all the transfer decisions. Ultimately, I mean, they report back to the owner, um, but ultimately, they plan transfers two or three seasons ahead. They look at the positions that they're going to fill two or three years ahead, who their targets are. They've got this whole plan of how to um, how to target players and bring them in, and what positions and. And contract renewals as well. They do exactly the same thing. They plan two or three seasons ahead. Um, and for, for me, I mean, obviously at, at Chelsea, Marina Benasquia has a lot of power. Um, and you know, we talked about how good she is at the financial aspect. What Marina doesn't have is the football knowledge and the football experience and knowledge of the football world, which you really need in a football club. I mean, it sounds obvious, but you really need that. So. When I, in this article I wrote, I talk about 
what I believe Chelsea need. And there's there's two figures, there's two types of figure I think that people talk about when they talk about a director of football. Um, one is the kind of traditional director of football, so like Bergestan at, at Manchester City or Monchi at Romy, Roma, um, and um, Campos, who's at Lille and was at Monaco before and helped create that great Monaco team. Um, though, actually, those two are the kind of those, those two are kind of names that I that I immediately thought of as as people who could come in and do that, create that scouting network and oversee it oversee the loan army or maybe reduce it um, and could kind of go and do negotiations with players who could create a transfer strategy which goes years in advance and which plans ahead for players that are getting older like like we have Willian and Pedro at the moment who are both in their, in their early 30s so need replacing and um, we could plan ahead for that kind of thing um, so I think you need that kind of person that person would, would work really directly with Marina um, she would kind of probably handle the business and the financial side, but director football would handle the negotiations with clubs. And I think that would, I think they would work together quite well. Someone, they, so, you know, someone like that in that kind of role. But I think Chelsea also need a figurehead. I think Chelsea need, as well as the kind of Monchi or Campos kind of figure, we need someone else as well. I think we need a we need a figurehead who's going to sell the vision of the club. Um, to to the public to start with, but also to players. Um, players are trying to sign somebody who is respected throughout football. Somebody who's a well-known figure in football, um, who's also a well-known figure at Chelsea, and knows the club and gets the club. Um, mm-hmm. Someone who can maybe go to academy players and actually outline their their path to the first team, like actually give them a clear like plan for their development which goes not just into in youth football but if there's a loan for them that they need to develop they can outline that and they can outline how they see them progressing into the first team and where Mm. they see them playing like years in advance you know this is what top clubs do um and i think a guy like i think i've always said this and i've heard so many comments by this by this guy last year and recently as well Michael Balak is the guy that I always think of when I think of this kind of figurehead kind of guy who's not kind of a specialist director of football like like Monchi or Campos who mm. would oversee all the scouting and transfer targets and all that kind of thing and the more kind of businessy side of football. But someone who's uh, more of a public figure, um, someone who can represent the club and someone who, yeah, can sell that vision to to players that are coming through, to players that we want to sign. You know, you imagine, I mean, you can you imagine buying, um, you talk about Callum Hudson-Odoi. You can mm. imagine, who's a Chelsea fan probably. I think we talked about that, he's mm. a Chelsea fan. Michael Ballack going to him last year or the year before and saying, right, this is the plan, this is our Chelsea's plan for you to develop over the next five years. This is how we see you integrating into the first team. This is the position we see you playing. This is how this is going to work out over the next few years. And you tell that to him, you tell that to his parents. And mm. suddenly he's like, he's like, oh, okay, this is how it is. I know now that Chelsea have got a plan for me. This is what it's going to, this is what, this is how it's going to work. So I can trust the club that they will, this is, this is what will happen. Mm. Um, and so, and it comes from somebody that he's immediately going to respect that he, that he knows, um, cares about Chelsea and, uh, no, and he's, you know, has, has a plan. 
Um, mm. And you and like and he can go someone who can go to Bayern Munich. I mean, imagine Michael Ballack walking into Bayern Munich's offices and telling them Colonel Hazard always isn't for sale. You know, I um, mean, he's a Bayern legend. You know, so mm. they're going to listen to him. And, um, <laughs> yeah. I'd, um, I'd be careful with calling him a Bayern legend. A lot of Bayern fans don't perceive him as such. Now. Oh, really? oh <laughs> yeah. I see. Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah. Also, that. but, but also, you, you understand yeah. the point I'm trying to make, though. It's of course. Kind of, yeah, yeah. You have, you have a figurehead like Michael Ballack. You have a kind of technical director like Monty or Campos, who's in charge of the whole strategy. And Ballack works with him, works with Mourinho, and they they implement it, and they have particular roles in implementing it. Mm. And Suddenly, there's so the power is kind of split. I suspect Marine will want to have overall control because that's the kind of person that she is, and Roman Abramovich trusts her implicitly. But it would be a team effort, and then you'd have a coherent vision you could sell to players inside the club mm. and outside the club. So, by yeah. so Balak could go to our transfer targets and talk to them about the vision for Chelsea, how they see this person fitting into that vision, what their role would be. Um, how we see them developing, you know, and it comes, if it comes from like a Chelsea legend and an icon of football, um, then it's quite persuasive, you know, mm. and then you leave the, then you leave the technical director guy to go and do the negotiations and you know, that kind of thing. So it, that's how I see that working and it would make such a difference. I mean, it, like, like Terry said, it would like, we wouldn't have had this drama with Callum Hudson-Odoi if we'd had a director of football. Yeah. I completely agree. Selling this vision to Callum two, three years ago about how he was going to develop and how we were going to develop him mm. and how he was going to go into the first team. Mm. Because what we're really missing at the moment is this is a clear strategy for moving players from the academy into the first team. Like yeah. Our academy structure is actually really good up to the first team. Mm. You know, then from when you get to kind of the transition between the academy and the first team, then it all goes, all falls apart. And then you have transfer policy mm. for the first team, which is a bit incoherent, you know. Mm. And um, I think, yeah, if you had these two figures working with Marina together and have, you had a coherent strategy, mm. it would make a huge difference. I, I, I agree completely. Like, um, and as, as we've talked about, okay, we have two, two, kind of, two kind of people there dealing, one dealing with the players and one dealing with the strategy. Um, I'm sure Jimmy would agree on that. Or if he not, he, he's happy uh, or, or I'm happy to have him disagree on that in, in, in the statement. I'm going to let him release just now. But I want to put a, uh, an additional question to that. Um, how would that work? Like, I, I want to know how um, the, move, the, the movements between, between all these figures within the club would, would look like. Because I can imagine someone like Marina sitting there um, having let's say, the money on, on, on her table and saying, all right, um, director of football, let's say it is going to be Monkey. I, a further name that I want to chuck in right now is um, uh, the director of football of um, Mönchengladbach, um, Max Ebel, who is, oh, in my opinion... Oh, not him. He I is, hate he the, is the He <laughs> is the best one at dealing with transfers. I know he's he had his he's deals with Chelsea and, yeah, but he's... <laughs> If, if you had him at your club, you would be happy to have him. So I want to chuck that name in, and he would be the first name on my sheet if I had to bring one in. But let's say you have a director of football there who goes to Marina and says, all right, I want money for the next transfer window, or I want money for the transfer window in three years' time because we want to plan ahead. Um, how many do you want to give me? Or 
I, I want this this amount of money. Marina, give it to me. Uh, then there will be ne um, negotiations between these two. And then the director of football, um, like scouts, has has his scout army and uh, brings in all the different scout reports from across Europe and the, and the world. And then sets out like a Michael Ballack to visit all these players, visit the players in on on loan, visit the players in uh, the academy, and then tries to lure these players into the right positions where you say, "All right, um, we're looking at you. Maybe you want to come next transfer window. We can offer you this and that. We have um, uh, a vision for you at this club. Um, that is something that is going to work for me." Do you think that is somehow a way we can deal with things? And do you agree on the two characters? And how would you do it in like the process of um, talking to players and securing a good future for the club in kind of that department? That's kind of a long question, but I'll try and um, <laughs> answer it as adequately as I can. But generally, I think, you know, it, where, where there's a will, there's a way. Uh, I think that's German saying, but nevertheless, it, you know, essentially, I think we can make it work. But the thing is, uh, as has been mentioned, Mariner doesn't, you know, think about it like this way. She, she might have this one kind of number which she always tries to aim for, you know, annually. She wants to have these numbers. She wants to only go up this high uh, for transfer fees and she has her own way of negotiating, which she clearly has and has shown. So then the director of football comes in like Michael Balak, uh, who, you know, we know he was a brilliant footballer. I absolutely adored him. He's one of my favorite players, actually, um, mm. in, in the Abramovich era. Yeah. And then he's more of a footballing brain. And I, I'm sure he's not bad fire, you know, can get into this whole finances thing. And he says, yeah, no, it doesn't matter. We will have to overpay him uh, for this guy. For example, I don't know, Lorenzo Insignia. Let's say, because I read this one uh, today. She is not going to have that. And the problem is, Roman Abramovich is likely always going to be on the side of Marina Granovskaya. So mm. if <laughs> that happens, you're going to have a similar situation to Arsenal with Sven Mislintat. Uh, although they brought in like another person there, uh, which is a bit different, but still he would have to go through that one person, which would be Grand Grand Sky here. And what's the point? You know, even if we do get a, a director of football, and I think it's nevertheless essential that we do, he will always have to have the crap of having to deal with a oh, She's not doing what I want. So I think any director of football who comes in, and that's why I think Monchi or Campos is unrealistic, uh, will have to deal with the crap that Mariner gives him. So I think it has to be flexible. He has to have footballing knowledge. And he has to have, a, you know, it has to be patient. So Michael Ballett can be a bit... Uh, you know, can be a bit heated at times. We saw that when he was uh, surrounding Ovrabo in 2009. Um, I think Juliano Belletti would be a better choice there. I actually really did like mm -hmm. him as a player as well. And I think he'd bring a bit of calmness in, but also this footballing knowledge. So I think yep, we're going to have a problem in that if we don't buy a, get a football, a uh, director of football in that fits that. And for example, 
I think it was a campus that said if he comes in, he's going to like get rid of this whole loan army uh, concept. He would have sold everyone except for like five or six players. And the club doesn't want that. So I think we can talk about those kind of options um, because I think campus will be a great, a great call, as uh, James has said. But it's not going to happen. So I think sure. if we do get any for a, for a director of football, then it's going to be, uh, you know, a former player. We'll have to wait and see. I mean, there are lots of people that could come in. Maybe Joe Cole. There's a, there's a name I'd like to play. I don't know. Yeah. mentioned yet. Peter Cech. I think he would be. That, wow, that would be cool. A that's a good thing. That, that's a good call. Would, yeah, I think he would combine the passion of someone like a Michael Ballack but also the calm assurance and the calm mentality mm. of a Juliano Belletti. He yeah. understands how the club works. He's played, he's played it during pretty much the entire Bayern era. He understands how the club runs. He, it wouldn't take him long to get back into the groove of being a Chelsea employee. He knows how uh, the, the club is run as a whole, the team ethos, the club ethos, the academy ethos, so on and so forth. Um, and there's also uh, there's a point I want to go back to where... Um, James was talking about the Manchester City um, documentary and everything, and about how they're almost setting the the bar for how directors of football run clubs and academies. If we look back, that's what we used to be. When Abramovich first took over, we had the likes of Peter Kenyon in charge, mm. and we had other financial people in charge. People like uh, Eugene Tenenbaum was much more active back in there. Is much more active. We used to be the status quo of how football clubs were run. The problem is we became far too complacent. At the same time, we also had managers that became too powerful and also too demanding of constantly wanting this and this and this. And I think that's the and I think that's what's happened with Chelsea. We've gone from the mindset of taking everything, making sure we're the best at everything to doing. As long as we meet the status quo, the quotas, the guidelines, we're fine. And I think that's the problem. I think if you look back at it, Marina Grover Sky has only been around, say, what, the last five or six years. Marina Grover Sky would not have lasted in the first couple of years of the Roman Bovich era because Jose Mourinho would have had her out of the door. He would lose it because Jose Mourinho had the stroke of saying, I'm winning you league titles, I'm winning you stuff every single season. You have to give me something here. And I think Abramovich back then, because he was still in the adamancy of being a football owner where he just throws money at everything, sort of thing, it would have been like, okay, I'll tell you. Now, since Gravis Sky has come in, who is basically Abramovich's right-hand woman, so to speak, she runs the club on a day-to-day. Abramovich doesn't run the club anymore. He, he's he's basically the bank, if you think of it that way. The ground Sky is the actual person that runs the club. And um, I agree with um, what you guys have said, where she basically has all the power. Um, and certain certain um, people would just not last. And yeah. showcased with Michael Emanalo, where we, we did go through the experiment of having directors in football, I mean, if you think about it, we even had Evan Grant as a so-called director of football when Mourinho, not long before Mourinho was sacked in his first run. 
So we have gone down the director of football route in the past. Um, but I think um, the director of football can still work at a club, but it would be under different circumstances now because the club, um, say the first half of Roma Barrichs era, is completely different to how it's been run in the second half of the mm. era of Abramovich. So I just feel it can be done, but it, it will be different because Chelsea used to be a very much a proactive club. Now we're mm. very much a reactionary club. We only react when we have to react now. That's yeah, a, and that's I, a problem. I want to say as well that you know what I talked about... I'm I'm well aware that it's an ideal rather than a real than the most likely reality. Um, you know, this is what I would do if I was running the club. This is how I would run it. You know, um, and it, yeah, you're right about you know Marina. If you're going to have a director of football working with Marina, it needs to be somebody who is not going to try and impose their will on her because that won't work. Mm. <laughs> There's only one winner when that happens. So. Exactly, yeah. um, so you're right about being somebody a bit more, um, I don't want to say passive, but somebody who's a bit more amenable, someone who is a bit more flexible. Um, and yeah, Peter Cech is a great shout. I really, I, I think, I uh, think yeah. he, he's a leader. He's definitely a leader. Um, he loves Chelsea. Um, and I think there's one thing about Peter Cech, which I've read a few times, that he actually has a very good relationship with Roman Abramovich. Yeah, mm. one of the players that mm. has a relationship with, like David Luiz has a really good relationship with Roman Abramovich, mm. um, and I'm pre- pretty sure David Luiz will have some kind of mm. role in the future as well. But Peter Cech is one of those players who has that relationship with Abramovich, and I think um, certainly I think Abramovich would trust him a lot mm. more than somebody else. I think he would, you know, and he wouldn't he wouldn't be somebody who would cross Marina or make demands of Marina. Um, he would work within the structure that the club want and he would perform the role that the club want him to play. And there is mm. of Chelsea wanting to give him some kind of role um, on his retirement. So, you know, I mean, that kind of role would, would work for Peter Cech for sure. And I think he's, he's a very intelligent guy and I think he, yeah. he would perform that role really well. He also mm. speaks Russian. That that, if I'm not mistaken, mm. he speaks Russian. That would help yeah. if, uh, to, yeah. you know, persuade, uh, to sway her. Mm. And English and French and uh, Czech. So he's, and not, with, with all due respect to Michael Ballack, I think um, Peter Czech is the sharper knife in the drawer. Oh, um, yeah. But but how, yeah. however however to, to to come to an end with this podcast because we've we've been speaking for over forty minutes now. I want um, every single one of you to give me a realistic scenario for the next twelve months, like in short sentences. Um, what is going to happen in that department of the club? Are we going to change our structure? Are we bringing in um, a director of football? And uh, how will the situation look like come the next uh, January um, 2020? What's the start, lads? <laughs> I, <laughs> well, think, I think um, whether a director of football is employed or not by Chelsea Football Club within, say, the next 12 months, I think it's so dependent on how successful Maurizio Sarri is going to be during his tenure. Um, I, I, I believe that because as, um, during previous reigns of other managers, um, Abramovich used to be very ruthless. A couple of games, poor performances, out, next door, gone, fancy a lighter something. 
it seems like he's given Surrey a chance here. I think he understands. I think the board, to an extent, understands that we need change at the club. It's a new era. We, we are in transition. I think, and let's be honest as well, he chased Surrey for six months. Mm. It's not like he's going to chase him and then after two losses, he's going to throw him away, so to speak. Mm. He's going to give him a chance to create an era, a new regime, a new spine, a new nucleus, so on and so forth. He's going to create something so then it's ready to be handed over to another manager, um, so to speak, and everything. I, I genuinely believe he's going to give Sari time. Um, and okay. I, think it, I think it depends on that. I think if Sari, like I said, what Sari's done so far is miraculous mm. in terms of what he's had and what, I mean, mm. it came into Chelsea halfway through pre season. Mm. He's not had no real pre-season to an extent. Mm. He had, what, a couple of games and was thrown straight mm. in at a big end. Um, but I, what... I, think, I think if we're successful, I think he might have a little bit more power, sorry to say, we need someone that can help me. If he's mm. not successful, I feel we're just going to be going in the case of history repeating, where we're just going to go through another vicious circle of sack every two years sort of thing. I think it's so. I think this season or this tenure of Maurizio Sarri is very fundamental to the future of the, how the clubs um, run. Mm. Okay. Um, I, I, I think for me, I've always said this that I think actually since 2013, Chelsea have wanted to have a manager who is going to stick around, but they've picked the wrong people before now. Um, I think Maurizio Sarri, like Terry says, Abramovich pursued him relentlessly. And he plays a style of football which Abramovich wants us to play. And um, I think also, and the club will have done their research on Sarri and know that it takes time to implement mm. his philosophy and also that he needs the players around him that, that will suit that philosophy. And he doesn't have too many of those right now and again that, that just highlights the job that he's doing mm. is incredible so I think I think he will be given time I mean he's got to a cup final already mm. um, I do think that there's a chance that in the next 12 months we will see some some kind of figurehead brought in I don't think we'll see the kind of technical director kind of figure brought in mm. because they'll want too much power I think it's much more likely if we get a director of football um, I don't know how likely that is, but if we get a director of football, it will be someone like Peter Cech or or Belletti or someone like that um, coming in and kind of being a bridge between, you know, Sarri and um, and the board. And mm-hmm. um, if we don't, I think Sarri. I think I think. I mean, look at the the, the players that we've bought so far. A lot of them are Sarri recommendations. You know, Jorginho. Um, and and Higuain especially, uh, you know, were specifically players that, that Sarri would have wanted and asked for. And the club are trying to back his judgment, which is a which is good. Um, mm. So if they continue to do that and trust his judgment, then if we don't get a director of football, it's not the worst thing in the world, you know. But a lot of it depends on how Maurizio Sarri does, you know. I think I wrote another article saying that this is not the season to judge him. Um, and what he's doing here, that that time will come next season. I think when he has the mm. players that he wants, the squad he wants, and his philosophy is 
had more time to be implemented. Mm. So okay. I think that's where we'll be in the next 12 months. Mm. So, Jimmy? Um, well, it's a tough one. I, I don't know. It's it's impossible to call, if you ask me. Um, to make things short, uh, we were saying that we're going to get a director of football in already last January. And now it's a year later. So... Uh, you know what? I wouldn't even be surprised if Michael Manalo comes back. He's been uh, sacked at Monaco. Would be so bloody typical of us. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm just going to stay hopeful that something will happen. As the uh, as uh, other two guests, of course, said, uh, it will be dependent on whether Sari stays or not. Um, but yeah, l- l- let's just wait and see. I think we do need one. It's been highlighted with the Callum Hudson Odoi situation mm. that we need one. Maybe we'll have learned from this. I doubt it, but let's not give up hope. And yeah, you know we're we're, we're doing well, more or mm. less. Let's just wait and see. What yeah. do you think, Andy? Well, well, well. I I agree on the statement that um, we wanted to have a long-term manager for a long time, but it just didn't work out. So for that reason, it was difficult to appoint. Um, a director of football alongside them. I think also uh, Jose Mourinho and uh, Antonio Conte haven't been the characters who would tolerate someone as powerful as them next to them. Um, so that would be some some kind of... Yeah, they, they just didn't want someone next to them who tells them which players they are going to have in their squad. They wanted to do it themselves for most of the times. Um, now that we have Sari... Uh, he is a manager who just wants to concentrate on the football side of things, being a coach rather than a general manager. And that would obviously be a very good time to appoint um, a director of football, making the structure that way that we just appoint uh, football brains for uh, like the long-term future um, next to someone who is stable and uh, always there like a director of football that has really we can't try directors of football and change them on the on the season basis we have to really think long term with that and we have to appoint the right person so i would not be overly uh, disappointed if we haven't had one in 12 months time um i want the club to pick the right one however the situation as i pointed out is um the right one so if if sorry doesn't collapse at the second half of the season and we play a decent enough season that he can stay for another season, maybe not uh, for, for another season as well. So three years, um, that is exactly the time we should appoint a director of football and I'm hopeful that we do so. So I think in 12 years, um, in 12 months time, we will have a director of football. Whoever that will be is another question, but I think we will have one. On that note, I think that's a positive one. We can also um, end the podcast. Uh, I'm very happy, and I think I speak for Jimmy and myself, that we have had Mm. you two on. Um, uh, I'm also happy to plug um, you in um, the description below. So you you can find the Twitter handles in the description below of these two guys. Read as well their articles on the Chelsea Echo. Um, Massive thanks to Terry and James for joining us on the podcast. Please make sure if you're listening, if you're watching on YouTube, that you subscribe to us, that you like and maybe give us a good rating on the various platforms you can find ourselves on and give us also a follow on Twitter. We would massively appreciate it. 
with that being said, uh, that concludes the episode. Thanks for listening and keep the blue flag flying high.